You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our reading this morning is from Luke 4, beginning in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? This is the word of the Lord. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land, here at our sea-washed sunset gate shall stand a mighty woman with a torch, whose flame is the imprisoned lightning in her name, mother of exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame, Keep ancient lands your storied pomp, cries she, with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of the teeming of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. This is a poem called The New Colossus. Anyone know where this is inscribed? Statue of Liberty, some travelers. And really it greets the immigrants of old that came through New York's harbors to find new life and freedom in the United States of America. This is the stated vision of our nation, one of welcome and liberation for the tired, for the poor, for the oppressed. For those who arrive here, they are told that they will find the freedom and liberty they've always ever dreamed of. Now, as we celebrate freedom in our nation today, and I want to acknowledge that even what we're doing right now is an expression of that freedom, and we are truly grateful. But we also have to recognize that this is not meant freedom for all. As we look back through our history, some came to our shores as pilgrims and explorers, and yet others came as slaves. Some expanded their territories through what was called manifest destiny, and others were torn from their territories on what was called the Trail of Tears. Some have soared to unimaginable heights here, and others have been brought lower than they could ever imagine. 
Freedom is a wonderful vision and a wonderful promise, but the question is, what is true freedom and who is it for? See, freedom isn't simply measured by endless opportunities of gain for the most fortunate. Our freedom is measured by how it impacts the most vulnerable among us, to the tired, to the poor, to the oppressed. As Dr. King once said, no one is free until we're all free. And this even applies with Christian freedom, the freedom and liberty that we have through Jesus Christ. Christian freedom itself can only be fully enjoyed when others are being welcomed into it. Freedom is not something to hoard. Freedom is not something to protect. Freedom is something to offer. True freedom, the kind of liberty that Jesus proclaims to be all about, is the kind of freedom that runs that sprints to the lowest rungs of society, to those who have been failed by people, to those who have been failed by religion, to those who've been failed by themselves. As Jesus stood in this synagogue this day, he opened the scroll and he read from a passage from the Old Testament called Isaiah. And the context of this passage in Isaiah is really twofold. It's a stern rebuke from God but it's also a promise of rescue. In Isaiah 58, God rebukes the nation of Israel because they had failed in their calling to be a source of liberty to the oppressed. Now, don't get me wrong, they continued with their religious rituals and fasts and gatherings. They continued to claim, you know, we are, we're God's people, we're a godly nation, we're founded on godly values and principles. We are doing God's work here, for goodness sake. And yet they didn't do what God had called them. Which is explicitly mentioned in this passage to loosen the bonds of wickedness and to set free the oppressed. God's essentially saying, what use is this all? You gathering and having fun and celebrating what you have when you've totally abandoned what I've called you to be. But even though the nation had failed its most vulnerable, God had not. You need to listen to me. People are going to fail you. Religion's going to fail you. This church is going to fail you. God will never fail you. And what this passage in Isaiah, the one that Jesus is reading here, reminds the people is that the hope of true freedom never rests in the people's hands. The hope of true freedom is always in God's hands. God is the source of freedom. And so God promises a Messiah, the anointed one, a, a rescuer who would come and usher in and embody the very freedom of the kingdom of God. And as Jesus reads the scroll, it says he sits down and everyone's eyes are fixated on him. They're on the edge of their seat, as we're told elsewhere. They're mesmerized by the fact that Jesus speaks with such authority. And then there's this like drop the mic moment, which I'm not going to do. When Jesus says in verse 21, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What Jesus is saying is I am the fulfillment of this promise. Everything that was spoken is about me. It's not ultimately about you. It's not ultimately about what you will do. This is about me. I am God's anointed one and I will do what this nation could never do. Now, I need to mention this. We get in a lot of trouble, and we see this all throughout evangelicalism today. We get in a lot of trouble when we start making comparisons between Israel and America. Don't do that. 
because there are far more differences than there are similarities. But the point I want us to see is this. Jesus offers us a freedom that no nation, no government, no people could ever provide. Jesus would say in John 8, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. The kind of freedom that Jesus brings to us is a true and an everlasting freedom. Not, again, one that we have to fight to protect. Not a fickle freedom that is subject to the people around us, but a true and a lasting freedom that is safe in our Redeemer's hands. And so the question that I want to briefly lean into today is this. Who is this freedom for? That seems to be the the point that is being made in this passage, not just what freedom is, but more specifically, who this freedom is for. And so first, as we see in this passage, this is good news of freedom to the poor. Jesus didn't come for the self-sufficient. Jesus didn't come for the independent, self-made man or woman, not the go-getter, not the one that pulls themselves up by their bootstraps and takes control of life. Jesus came for the poor. Now, who are the poor? Now, the poor can apply economically and often does apply economically, but always applies spiritually. Economically, he's referring to the outcast, the marginalized, the disinherited. It's often those who cannot rely upon the riches and opportunity and privilege that are the most open to the gospel. It is those who have little to nothing to cling to that are the most open to clinging to Jesus Christ for life and everything. Who realize that though they have nothing in this world, not even two pennies to pinch together, they are rich in Jesus Christ who became poor so that we may become rich. But also, spiritually speaking, this is the poor in spirit. Remember, Jesus in the great Sermon on the Mount said, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the spiritually humble. These are the individuals that recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt. And the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin and need that made it necessary. What do I bring to the table? Empty hands. Need. Later in this passage in Luke, Jesus is going to refer to a man named Nahum. I'm sorry, Naaman. And Naaman was a ruler. He had everything at his disposal. He could just snap the finger and and the problem was solved. And yet he found himself in the situation where even his own riches couldn't rescue him. He had to be brought very, very low. He was rich and yet he became poor in spirit. The true freedom of Jesus is good news, not to the strong, not to the able, not to the privileged, not to the pious, not to the proud, but to the poor. Secondly, it's good news of freedom to the captive. The word here for captive has this meaning of being a prisoner of war, someone who has been captured and is now being held against their will. Now, the the liberation that Jesus brings is first and foremost freedom from the captivity that we have to sin. This is something that we've been covering throughout the book of Romans, that we were all at one time enslaved to the power of sin and death. We were stuck and held in our rebellion towards God. But Jesus came to break us free from the shackles. 
Through his death and his resurrection from the dead, Jesus broke the chains of bondage for all who believe. And so to those today who are in bondage, to those who feel stuck, to those who feel held down by destructive patterns, to those who can't break free or break through or or rise above their circumstance, there is freedom in Jesus. And not just a promise of freedom in some far off, distant, heavenly future. Jesus says, today this passage is fulfilled in your presence. There is freedom today for the one who trusts in Jesus Christ. Now we experience this true and lasting freedom as we do essentially two things. As we out from underneath the the tyranny and the reign of sin and death through repentance. And then as we come under the healing reign of Jesus Christ through faith. Now this is difficult because this goes against every thought that we have about freedom. We think freedom is breaking free from someone's rule. Right? Fourth of July, we celebrate breaking free from King George, the one that will remind you, uh, rather will kill your friends and your family to remind you of his love. Remember that one? La-da-da-da-da-da. Okay. Ten Hamilton fans in the house? Okay. (laughs) What we need to remember is that true freedom is not about autonomy. True freedom is not about independence. True freedom is about submission. True freedom is about lasting dependence. True freedom is not about being able to do what we want, when we want, and where we want to. True freedom is the grace of God to do what we ought, when we ought, and where we ought to. True freedom is the transformed life that gets away from bondage to self and lives for God and neighbor forever. Number three, it's good news of freedom to the blind. I can see you already salivating, waiting for your shave ice. I know that that's why most of you are here, so I'm trying to rush through this as fast as possible. (laughs) Number three, it's good news of freedom to the blind. In Helen Keller's autobiography, she describes her early experience of being both blind and deaf. And she says, have you ever been at sea in a dense fog when it seemed as if a tangible darkness shut you in and the great ship, tense and anxious, groped her way toward the shore and you waited with beating heart for something to happen? She said, I was like that ship. Only I was without a compass or a sounding line. I had no way of knowing how near the harbor was. Light. Give me light was the wordless cry of my soul and the light of love shone on me in that very hour. She goes on to say, I felt approaching footsteps. I stretched out my hand as I supposed to my mother and someone took it. And I was caught up and held close in the arms of her who had come to reveal all things to me and more than all things to love me. Now she's describing Ann Sullivan who is her very, very, patient, persevering instructor. And as I read that account, it feels very foreign. I have sight. I can hear. And while her experience is 
almost totally unimaginable, probably for almost every single one of us here. It actually illustrates the story of every believer. Her story isn't actually all that different. Because the Bible tells us that we begin life spiritually lost and blind to God's presence. Navigating life through the darkness, tense and anxious, without a compass, without direction, not knowing where we are going. And yet Jesus draws near to lift us up into his arms and to reveal the light and life of heaven, heaven to us, to, to open our eyes to his presence, to open our eyes to true life, to open our eyes to the hope of the future for those who trust in Christ. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind. Lost, but now I'm found. Blind, and now I see. Amen? I got it right there. Finally, it's good news of freedom to the oppressed. Good news of freedom to the oppressed. The word here for oppressed means to be broken and beaten and shattered. Why did Jesus come? What is the ministry of Jesus all about? Why is Jesus present here in the synagogue? And why is he among the people? And why is he going to the cross? Jesus came to bind up the wounded and to set free those who feel forever defined by their brokenness. Those who walk through life with the wounds of mistreatment. Those who are gripped by the bitterness of past trauma and abuse. Those who are afraid to ever give their heart to another person because of the way that they've been manipulated and mistreated. To those who have been broken by society, broken by, broken by uh, substances, those who have been broken by family members and friends and even loved ones and even those who have been broken by churches to the battered, to the hurt, to the wounded, to the traumatized, to the ones that feel stricken forever by pain, there is healing in Jesus Christ. There's healing in this Jesus. This Jesus who reads the scroll this day would later be bound, beaten, bruised, and broken so that you and I could experience forever freedom and forgiveness. And the hope of the gospel is this, that for the one who trusts in Christ, though you and I may carry the scars of our past for the rest of our lives, those scars no longer mean that you are an endless victim. Those scars now are a testimony of God's overcoming power. I want us to consider that scene as Jesus was crucified, and on the third day he rose, and he's appearing to his disciples, but Thomas misses it. And the disciples are explaining, Jesus is risen, and he says, I can't believe it. Unless I put my hand into his side, unless I see and I feel those scars, I cannot believe. And like Jesus' scars compelled Thomas to believe in a risen Christ, so our healed wounds can be used by Jesus to point to resurrection life that is available to all who believe. And so I want to conclude with this. How do we join Jesus in his liberating work. Jesus is on the move. He's setting people free. But how do we get in on this? This 4th of July, we've got to go so much further 
than simply celebrating our own personal freedoms and independence. This is why I refuse to preach a patriotic message today. We need more than just celebrating red, white, and blue. Yes, we're grateful. Yes, we're grateful for the benefits that we have as citizens of America, but gratitude has got to move us beyond just celebration. It's got to move us to care and concern for the vulnerable. It's got to, it's got to cause us to consider the ways that God has resourced and blessed us in our lives so that we can help other people experience freedom as well. And so this begins with sharing the gospel with others. Do not overlook the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the message of Jesus' death and resurrection and his healing reign. This is the message that delivers people from sin and bondage. I want us to consider today that God has entrusted us with the news that brings eternal freedom. Are you sleeping on it? Are you hoarding it? Are you keeping it to yourself? Or are you sharing it? And if you are not, you really need to consider whether or not you care about the freedom of the people around you. It says in verse 14, a report about him went out all throughout the surrounding country. I want us to envision what this would look like in the city of Stockton today. I want us to envision what it would look like through God's people, reality, and all the Christ-proclaiming churches in Stockton that the message of Jesus began to fill our city. The rumors about Jesus' healing reign were spreading through our streets, through our workplaces, through our neighborhoods, through our families, through our friendship circles. You have been welcomed in on that. Will you say yes or will you say no today? But this also means practical action on behalf of our community and those who are vulnerable. James Cone, who, who recently passed away a few years ago, said the gospel of Jesus is not a rational concept to be explained in a theory of salvation, but a story about God's presence in Jesus' solidarity with the oppressed, which led to his death on the cross. I want you to think about that statement. Christianity isn't just a theoretical set of beliefs that we come and we recite and that we go on in our merry way. It is the life-transforming message that God, through Christ, is near to the oppressed. How do we know that he is near to the oppressed? Because he died on a cross, for goodness sake. His final breath between two criminals, in the lowest places of the low. And so for the Christian, we need to be reminded today that as it was said of Jesus, it is also said of us, the spirit of the Lord is upon us. Christian, the, the spirit of the Lord is now upon you. And he is empowering you to join Jesus as Jesus moves toward the powerless, as he moves toward the vulnerable, as he moves toward the bound in order for you to utilize the power and the opportunity and the wealth, and the privilege, and the freedom that you have in order to bring freedom for other people. And I want us to consider this today. What does this mean? It means, perhaps it means economically that you are helping people experience freedom. It could be applied socially, 
I was just talking to Bernice earlier before the, uh, the church service, who is now working in social work, working with at-risk youth to help them to find stable housing so that they can get on their feet in this life and so that they can turn a significant corner and break generational lines forever. This is the stuff that we're talking about here. This means relational freedom. This means uh, education. If you're an educator, you have the opportunity to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to break broken patterns of the past and help people experience freedom through education. This, ex this involves uh, legislative reform. Again, as I mentioned, this involves education. We can fill in the blank. Maybe it's not about you've got to go across the world or go overseas or join a missions trip to be involved in this work. Maybe it's recognizing where God has you right now. In your job, in your school, in your friendship circles, the Spirit of God is upon you to proclaim this message of life and freedom through Jesus Christ. And so today, let's let gratitude move us beyond ourselves. Let's let gratitude move us beyond our own rights, our own privileges, and into an earnest desire to see other people live free as well. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for...